0: Welcome to the fourth season of Better News, a series of special podcasts It's All Journalism is producing in partnership with the American Press Institute. I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Better News offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. The effort is fueled by the American Press Institute and the Knight Lenfest Local News Transformation Fund. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight some of the useful research the American Press Institute has published as part of its Better News initiative. Jeanette's Knoxville News Sentinel in Tennessee is telling more diverse, authentic stories that are making an impact. It's all thanks to a new audience engagement initiative called the Digital Advisory Group, or the DAG for short. Joel Christopher is the executive editor of the News Sentinel, and Brenna McDermott is the news growth and development editor. Welcome to the Better News Podcast, Joel and Brenna.
1: Thank you for having us, Michael.
2: Thank you, Michael.
0: I'd like to start things off by learning a little bit about each of you. Uh, Let's start with you, Joel. What got you into journalism and how'd you end up at the Knoxville News Sentinel?
1: I always struggle to answer that question because it's just been a part of me for as long as I can remember. The first time I was ever published, I wrote a letter to the editor when I was 11 years old and started working for my campus newspaper within the first week of my freshman year. So it never feels like a conscious decision that I made to become a journalist. It was just always there. I've been in Knoxville for three years. I spent most of my career in my native Wisconsin, working at a number of newsrooms, all part of the USA Today Network there, before heading to Louisville for a couple of years, and then Knoxville three years ago.
0: Brenna, how about you?
2: Yeah, as a kid, I was always a writer. And I'm also a very practical person, so pairing my love of writing with finding a practical career seemed like a good move. I was an opinion columnist for my college newspaper for years before becoming an opinion editor and eventually editor-in-chief there. Spent some time at a couple of different papers. I was the editor of a regional business magazine in Columbia, Missouri before moving to Knoxville about five years ago, and I've been with Knox News for the last four years.
0: The reason we're talking is that the News Sentinel started a new initiative through the Table Stakes program. Tell me how that came about.
1: So we have been considering for a long time the fact that both our newsroom and our news coverage don't adequately reflect our full community. As part of those conversations were happening locally, they've been happening at a company-wide level as well. So starting in the summer of 2020, the News Sentinel, along with some of our other newsrooms in the USA Today Network, joined one of the Table Stakes cohorts. Table Stakes, as you're probably familiar with, you know, pairs newsrooms with a university cohort and some other experts to allow you to really focus on solving a particular issue. Our issue we decided was to ensure that black communities are truly and fully present in our coverage. It was evident to us, the more that we talked about what our history looked like, what our contemporary coverage looked like, that that wasn't the case, that we were writing and reporting and photographing primarily white and affluent communities. And that's not a full reflection of of Knoxville by any stretch. That was the first concrete action that we really took to start changing the way that we conceive of and execute our coverage
0: now in sort of reading about this i see that there was a particular incident that sort of brought this to the attention or at least made the newsroom sort of understand that okay yeah we need to change it change our approach can you sort of talk about that
1: shortly after we started our table stakes program there were A couple different events that really threw into sharp relief the magnitude of the challenge that we had the first was a tragic series of shootings that were primarily affecting young black men in this community particularly there was one high school where many of those young men and women who lost their lives attended so it was a really raw experience. It was incredibly difficult to cover, especially because we weren't sourced the way that we needed to be. So we realized really quickly that we had identified a problem, but then events showed us just how far we had to go to achieve the goals that we were setting for our coverage. There was an editor here who said it well, that it was as if we were thrust into a graduate level university course and hadn't yet finished high school. It very much felt that way. At the same time, I took a phone call from a man named Sam McKenzie, who's a state representative, really smart, interesting, engaged member of this community. And he was really upset. And he was drawing my attention to a headline that we had on a story that was about some Gun violence event. It wasn't one of those shootings, but it was something similar. And we had used the identifier, like a lot of newsrooms do, geographic identifier, but the generic East Knoxville, which is a part of our city that includes a lot of Black residents. And he was pointing out the damage that using that broad identifier does to East Knoxville, to that community, and the people who live in East Knoxville. And he said, I want you to Google East Knoxville and, and tell me what you see. And he was serious about that. He literally wanted me to do it. So I, I did it as we were talking. And it was, it was disturbing to see what I saw there, which was story after story after story. Most of them from other outlets, but some of ours as well, that really painted a picture of East Knoxville as just a... Incredibly one dimensional picture of it is just a place where crime and mayhem and trauma occurred. And you know, as I was having that conversation with Sam, I started Googling other neighborhoods and parts of the community. And of course, you had nothing comparable to that. You had a much fuller picture of what life was like in those neighborhoods than you did in East Knoxville. And it was a real light bulb moment. For me, it seems obvious, right? We know that we shouldn't use too broad of terms to identify places and especially have to be careful about associating them with only bad happenings. But to have that call to my attention so directly and, and to have that happen while we were in the midst of trying to recalibrate our coverage has really stuck with me. And it helped us take some important actions like creating a neighborhood guide that's really thorough and includes, you know, not just the geography of neighborhoods, but the history of them and the importance of them to the community. And then making sure that in our coverage ongoing that we're very thoughtful about how we use geographic identifiers. There's always the, you know, the SEO imperative to try to use places that people know, but we have really considered the damage that you can do if you're not careful with how you use locations in connection with bad news, with news about violence or crime, you know, associating a high school or a neighborhood with this continual drumbeat of negative coverage is a trap that you have to really be careful to avoid.
0: Yeah. And I can imagine that would be a very powerful thing to, to sort of realize that, you know, this was something that you were doing as part of your coverage that you didn't see the ramifications of it and how that might be perceived by other people. So you've identified the problem, you've sort of begun the the table stakes process. You know, tell me about the development of the digital advisory group and, and how that sort of became your strategy for addressing this problem.
1: Yeah, I would I think Brenna is absolutely the best person to talk about this because she's been, been an absolute champion on this.
2: Sure. So back in fall 2019 a team of strategists and leaders across Skynet created something called a digital advisory group for the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle as it was also going through its table stakes program at the time. And it was created essentially to find a way to measure success in efforts to grow audience in communities of color so rochester launched their digital advisory group which i'll talk a little bit more about the details of that in a minute and led by uh, Cynthia Benjamin and Len Lacara and many other company leaders they created this private hidden facebook group with the intention of how do we have really safe and meaningful conversations with individuals of color who either have a lack of trust in our news outlet or lack of knowledge in the first place. And how do we build relationships, not through, you know, advertising or or some sort of mass effort, but individual relationships. And Rochester saw so much success in terms of, you know, increased brand awareness of the Democrat and Chronicle, more ambassadorship in the community, for the work they're doing, and just more awareness of the content that they were creating, especially around how do we create more content for communities of color. And so Cynthia Benjamin led a pilot program last year in which she asked four or five Gannett newsrooms to kind of be the the, the guinea pig for how do we launch digital advisory groups wide across our USA Today network. And so Knoxville was one of those newsrooms who was asked to do that. And Rochester had already piloted it well. But our task was how do we put all this on paper? How do we work out all of the kinks so that newsrooms can very easily pick up this tool and run with it?
0: And I'm glad you mentioned Cynthia Benjamin. We had interviewed her for the Better News podcast back in, I think, 2020. Yeah, June 2020. I remember that conversation. It was really uh, something very positive, and it was it was great to see that they were having a you know, able to change the way they were doing things. You know, how was the the DAG or the Digital Advisory Group sort of implemented in uh, Knoxville?
2: So, as I mentioned, the DAG is a private, hidden Facebook group that is linked to our our Knox News Facebook account, and we deputized a team of reporters who have been deeply ingrained in our efforts to repair relationships with Black communities, our political reporter, our social justice reporter, an education reporter. And we sat down together as a group, explained the concept of the digital advisory group to them, the importance of the group repairing relationships, building trust, building relationships that we've never had. And asked them to think about the sources they've built over our efforts during table stakes. Who are the individuals who aren't elected officials, who aren't current Knox News subscribers, who might join this private Facebook group for general conversation and an introduction to Knox News content? And we would provide each of those individuals a one-year digital subscription to Knox News so that they could experience maybe for the first time the full array of content that we have to offer. And in the Facebook group, we will post five days a week content that might be of interest to them, specifically showing the work that we're doing and our, our commitment to repairing relationships with black communities across Knoxville but all kinds of content that that affects people's lives, whether it's real estate coverage or accountability coverage of government entities or the joy of a a black woman opening her first brick and mortar store. We're gonna share content of all kinds with these individuals and ask for their feedback. Did we get this right? What are the questions that weren't addressed in the story that need to be followed up on? What are your ideas for future content, future direction? And really try to start a dynamic conversation in a very safe environment in which we are encouraging complete, honest feedback and coming into it with no defensiveness at all, which Michael, I think is very difficult for some journalists, but we really tried to instill in in the reporters who are in the group, this isn't about defending yourself. This is about making us better. So those were kind of the parameters. And we asked those journalists to go in and, and recruit individuals they knew to join the group. And we launched it in, I want to say, June of last year.
0: You know, a couple of things I guess, I, I guess I, we should sort of clarify at this point. When you say that the the people who were in the group hadn't been exposed to the wide degree you know, of content, I take it that the new Sentinel is, is behind a, a paywall of some
2: sort? Some of our content is, but I also think that we've said many times over the past two and a half years during this effort, if you don't create content for Black people in Knoxville as a Knoxville news outlet, those people have no use for the content that you provide or you as a news entity. And so I think a lot of the lack of awareness wasn't, well, you don't have a subscription to access some of our content. It was, we have no use for you as a news outlet. We don't, we don't view you as useful to our lives. So that's such a larger hurdle to overcome than getting someone to subscribe.
0: Yeah, I would imagine that. And also the fact that because you're creating this sort of space or safe space, I think that puts you in in, I wouldn't say a vulnerable spot, but it puts you in a spot where it's clear that provided that you're, you're responding and listening, it demonstrates that you're interested in making a change. It's not just a lip service sort of thing. It's, you know, we've created the space. We've invited you into the space. Here is what we do. We want to hear what you think. And then you, you know, acting on the feedback that you get.
1: Michael, I think you're, you're absolutely correct. But an important point, too, is it's not performative. This isn't something that we're putting out in front of the public. We're not using it you know, in a promotional sense. And I think that's really important too, that this is a genuine effort between us and a specific group of people who live here who weren't consumers of our reporting, of our journalism, to try to create something that does have value to a much wider group of people.
0: So, you know, initially, what type of feedback were you getting and what type of changes were you able to make?
2: I think initially... It was a, a barrier in other newsrooms who have since piloted the DAG have found this too. It's just sort of a new concept. And so helping people who were community members who were joining the DAG understand we truly just want your feedback. And you can say whatever you want and whatever you think, and whatever your opinions are, we, we want to hear them. So without retribution or defensiveness, I think anyone who goes online may not ever feel completely safe giving their opinions. So how do we create an environment that feels really safe and familiar? And I think one of the ways you can do that in the DAG is by creating a really consistent environment. So each of our reporters who are in the DAG post every week so that Angela, our social justice reporter, you are seeing her face when she posts in the Facebook group every week so you're getting comfortable with who she is and her reporting, and she's asking you for feedback consistently. Consistency, I think, was a big part in trying to get people to interact with us. And we've gotten so much great feedback that has helped shape future coverage, whether it's you know posting a story about an entrepreneur and someone comments, well, hey, I I know this other really great entrepreneur who she just opened a, a new location, or I know this great nonprofit, they're starting this program where you can get a grant to expand your business. Hey, why don't you write about that? So getting posting stories and then gathering further ideas that come out of them and also shaping coverage. I wonder, Joel, if you want to talk about 287G and and how some of that feedback shaped how we write about that very complicated issue.
1: We know that when we're writing about complicated topics that we have to provide background and context, right? That's just sort of built into what we do. But I think like any newsroom, when you're with a topic for a long, long, long time, you think you're doing it, but you're not always doing it. And that was illuminated for us really effectively through our digital advisory group. We have a program here in Knox County that's commonly referred to as 287G. It's an arrangement with the immigration and customs enforcement and the local sheriff's office that gives local law enforcement the ability to enforce some federal immigration laws it's very controversial this county is one of a few nationwide that is all in as Knox County is and so we we write about it a lot it's a really important topic there have been people that have been ensnared in that program who have spent months in the criminal justice system and shouldn't have, so it's something that we think is vitally important for people to be aware of here. We published what we thought was a really important installment in that reporting, and we had one of our members of our digital advisory group really helpfully and directly point out they just didn't understand a lot of what we were writing about. Gave some specific examples of how this wasn't connecting with them as a reader. And when I went back and looked at that piece, which I had edited with a fresh eye and the knowledge of what that reader was seeing, you know what? That reader is 100% right. We have gotten so familiar with this topic that we're bearing some really important contextual and background within that piece that we have to make sure we bring back every single time that we have to fight the journalist's urge to get fatigued with explaining the same thing over and over again it was a really helpful and important interaction that we wouldn't have had. I think a regular reader, someone that's been with you a long time sort of understands the rhythm and, and construction of, of stories and especially stories that are ongoing, but we already have a connection with those types of readers. The types of readers that we're seeking here are people who have had no connection with you for a long time. So they're expecting something different from a news story. And there's more people who haven't had that long time connection with you than there are that have. So getting that perspective is so vitally important for our ability to tell stories to a much wider group of people and just for the future of what community journalism looks like.
0: This, is, I guess, goes to each of you. Is, is there anything that particularly surprised you about you know, what happened through the advisory group?
1: I don't think there was anything surprising in in the interactions, but I think the insights were really good because they, again, most of the conversations that we have as journalists are with people who are either used to having conversations with journalists or have been engaged with journalism. And I think it's so important that journalists of all type take a step back and think about a great number of people in any of your coverage areas don't have any contact with journalism on an ongoing basis. And part of that is because we don't tell stories in a way that connect with people, that we're so used to the templates and formulas that we use that we don't think about what it's going to take to reach people that we're not reaching. So I think the the only surprise there was just getting perspectives that brought me to that place and looking at coverage through that lens.
2: I think one thing that surprised me was really impressed upon me throughout this process is the digital advisory group is great for readers it's great for building relationships with readers it's also a really great experience for reporters who many times have no training on how to interact with readers or individuals in the community and so i've really tried to work hard with reporters as they're crafting posts that go in the digital advisory group How do you write a post to go along with the story link that really sums up not only what the story is about, but why it should matter to that person who's reading the post and then following up with some sort of discussion prompt or question to get people thinking beyond what the story is necessarily about to get them thinking further about the issue. And that was something we really had to practice with our team of reporters. And ultimately, I think it was a really powerful tool that we can, and skill that we can use in, in other aspects. But we as journalists, I think need to get better about being really direct with our readers because that's how we build relationships ultimately.
0: So one of the things I know about, um, table stakes and better news is measurement. It's not enough to try something new, but it's also, you know, measure it and then you know, learn if it's been successful. I'm getting the impression in talking to you that it was successful. What did you see that sort of demonstrated that to you?
2: Well, when we began our table stakes efforts in 2020, Joel and I had many conversations about metrics, in this case, matter, but ultimately everything that we've done to try to repair Knox News' relationship with communities of color across the city, we're doing it because it's the right thing to do, and metrics come second. So we're going to fix the things that we need to fix, like our sourcing, our policies about how we cover crime and and government accountability, how we refer to neighborhoods. We're going to fix all the things that we're doing wrong, and by the way, that's an ongoing process that will never end, and worry about metrics second. I think a really interesting metric that we'll be watching for is when this first year of our digital advisory group ends, will we get subscribers from our group in the DAG? Will people decide that they want to pay to get Knox News in their inbox? Or maybe they want to subscribe to one of our many free newsletters, and that's a very real significant stepping stone to becoming a subscriber ultimately. so that's a little bit of a roundabout answer, but I really strongly believe that we're focusing on doing the right things first.
1: Michael, I can as you know a skeptical journalist and I hear Brenna's answer there, and I can imagine journalists listening to this and saying, "So you're telling me you can't really measure whether you're successful on this and I want to reinforce her point is so important, but there is a measure in this sense too. When we look at the depth of sourcing and the increasing access that we're getting to storytelling that we didn't have previously, that's a demonstrable and measurable difference. And we are continually seeing that both when we're covering, you know, fast moving breaking news. And when we're trying to uncover, storytelling that just hasn't happened in this community. And that's coming out of all of these efforts. And the stories that we're producing, because we're making connections that we didn't have before, are some of the highest performing stories that we have, if you want to look at it, just through the the straight measures of metrics that we use in a lot of cases.
0: The things that you said, I really, you know, really sort of stand out to me, one of which, you know, do something because it's the right thing to do, as opposed to, you know, this is a measurable metric that we can, you know, mark on a sheet that shows that we're growing an audience or whatever. But it's clear in speaking to both of you that this experience has also changed, you know, the way the new Sentinel is doing its job. So what advice would either of you give to another news outlet who are thinking about doing a digital advisory group?
2: Yeah, I think two things. Number one is... The digital advisory group is not a solution to a problem. It's a tool in a toolbox that you can use to build relationships with with any group of people. But you have to have the work to back it up first. I think part of the reason our DAG has been successful is because before we even launched this initiative, we were already working on repairing all of those systemic problems in our newsroom, like sourcing, actually interviewing and talking to black people in our community instead of acting like we're a white affluent community, changing our policies around, you know, how we write about crime and and mugshots. We were already in process of repairing those things. So number one, do the work first and then create an opportunity for people to come in and tell you what you're doing wrong. I think people need to see that you're doing something to try to address the problem instead of just saying, well, we're gonna invite 20 people in this group and listen to what they have to say. And and that's gonna make everybody feel better. So it's just one tool, work on the other things first. And then secondly, the DAG is something that to be really effective needs to be nurtured. It takes daily work and it takes a team of people Thinking about it and making sure we're posting in the DAG and responding to every comment that a DAG member might add to a post. So you need to be hundred percent all in on not only the idea, but understanding what you're trying to get out of it, that you're trying to build and repair relationships. And like any relationship, it takes commitment. You don't want to be the one who starts a DAG and then it burns out and nothing ever comes of it. No one posts, no one interacts because you're breaking a promise at that point. So be a hundred percent all in on the idea and, and build a team around the DAG because it takes nurturing.
1: I can't emphasize Brenna's point about keeping your promises more. I mean, it's absolutely fundamental to what you do. This newsroom, every newsroom in America practically has a history of not keeping promises to covering communities fully. So whatever promise you make, make sure you can support it and make sure that you follow through on it. I also think she referenced something earlier that's important too, which is drop the defensiveness. This isn't about you, this is about your newsroom more effectively connecting with more people. And to do that, you just have to listen a lot more than we're used to. And you have to absorb the legitimate criticisms that come your way without defensiveness because you can't learn from them if you're all tied up and concerned about defending yourself
0: i've been talking to joel christopher the executive editor of the knoxville news sentinel and Brenna mcdermott the paper's growth and development editor about their digital advisory group joel and Brenna, thanks for coming on the better news podcast
2: thank
1: Thank you you for having us michael
0: Thanks for listening to Better News, a co-production of the American Press Institute and It's All Journalism. API's Better News Initiative offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. You can find out more about the Better News Initiative and this podcast at betternews.org.